are in the second week of our series looking at the relationship between our faith and our workplace. Last week, we kicked off the series by looking at three surprising truths that the scriptures reveal about our work. First, we said that work is good. The book of Genesis describes God from the beginning of time as master craftsman who creates and then organizes the world for human beings. In paradise, in the Garden of Eden, God gives work to the first human beings. They are to name the animals, fill the earth, rule over the land, cultivate the Garden of Eden. And so while we can feel frustration and experience problems from work, work itself is good. Second, because God gave us work, work is a, a gift. God gave us work as a gift to partner with Him in shaping the world, to partner with Him in shaping the world. Since God works, the ability to work then is a reflection of our divine dignity, our cooperation with God. We will experience a more abundant life as we see work as a gift. It is a gift that not only helps us to survive, but to thrive and to have a meaningful life. Third, we need work. Our souls crave work and crave making a contribution in our world. Our work helps us connect to God. Through our work, we come to know God better and know ourselves. It's through our work that we discover the gifts, the talents, the abilities that God gave us, which is a major component of who we are. As we move on today, we're going to look at a topic that can be somewhat of a minefield for for followers of Jesus Christ in the workplace. Yes, it is something that is fraught with danger. It can make you an outcast at work because you are sure to get your wrist slapped or even get into trouble or possibly get terminated, depending on the culture and the ethos of your workplace. It is probably an idea that you're already resisting and have some fears and trepidations about. It's clearly going out of your comfort zone. But all that said, I'm going to challenge you to go there anyway. We know from our own experience that growth spiritually or professionally is always outside our comfort zone. It's true. We move forward as we move, into, as we move out of our comfort zone. And saying that, it can be a difficult issue, faith in the marketplace, in the workplace. I would encourage you to use wisdom and discernment no matter what your work environment is. So for students, it's their classroom, the ball field. It's at the office. It's at the golf course. It's in your car. I promise by the end of my conversation, you'll have at least one takeaway that you can apply tomorrow morning. To help us out, we're going to look at a passage from the Gospel of Mark that takes place at the very end of the Gospel. It describes Jesus' final encounter with the apostles before he ascends into heaven, which is today's feast day. Let Matthew set the scene. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had ordered them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but they doubted. The eleven, of course, are the eleven loyal apostles. You'll recall that Jesus betrayed, that, excuse me, Judas betrayed Jesus and hung himself out of despair. 
Jesus tells the 11 to go to the mountain in Galilee, which isn't named. There's a sort of poetic justice that they go to Galilee because it's in Galilee where Jesus began his ministry and recruited the apostles. Now as he is to end his time on earth and ascend to the Father, he summons them to go back where it all started with for final instructions. I find it interesting that despite the fact they've seen Jesus alive after his death, he even ate with them, we know, they still have doubts. They worshiped, but they doubted. That tells me that I can keep worshiping even when I have doubts. And at times in my life, there are struggles, there are doubts. So it's very comforting to know that. Well, back to the story. Then Jesus approached and said to them, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then Jesus, this verse is just packed with meaning. To truly appreciate it, let's return to the passage we mentioned last week from Genesis. When God created the human family, he gave them authority over the earth. He said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. However, when the first humans ate the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, they surrendered that authority over to the evil one. God promised in that moment of their surrender to the evil one, God promised he would send a savior to make up for their failure. The Old, the Old Testament story, of course, then is a story of God's preparing the world to eventually send his son into it to win back that authority that was lost. It is a preparation that takes generations and generations, literally thousands of years. Finally, it is in the fullness of time, you know that from the gospel, in the fullness of time, at just the right time, that Jesus comes into the world, born a baby in Bethlehem. He then goes through his passion. He, gets, he gathers a group of followers. Then he goes through his passion, beating to death, death on a cross. He's buried, and on the third day, he rises from the dead. By his perfect obedience to the Father, he wins back the authority that our first parents surrendered. So the whole story of the Old Testament and all the Gospels lead up to this critical moment, the moment in which Jesus will tell the apostles what the whole story of salvation is all about. He says, Then Jesus approached and said to them, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, what he's saying is, now that all authority has been given to me, I'm passing this authority on to you. Are you guys listening? This is why I invested in you these three years. Pay attention. Now that he hopefully has their attention, and hopefully I have yours, he, gave, he gives them the mission to them and to us. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Notice, <clears throat> he first passes on his authority, the empowerment, and then he follows it quickly with orders regarding what they are to do. They are to make disciples of 
all nations. So Jesus is saying to the apostles and to me and you, I'm passing on this authority. I won by my cross and resurrection. Now get out of here and go make disciples. That's it. Go and bring other people into a relationship with me. A quick sidebar on this. The word disciple comes from the Latin discipulus, discipulus, which is learner, a learner. So as a student who is learning to follow the master. In gospel speak, it's someone who looks to Jesus to figure out how to live their lives successfully and then puts Jesus' teachings and example into action in their own lives. And the good news, by the way, is that you don't have to be perfect to be a disciple. The original 12 certainly weren't. All you have to do is listen, learn, and follow. That's it. To be a disciple, you have to listen, learn, and follow. Now, one way to follow Jesus is by inviting and influencing others to follow him as well. Jesus gives the apostles a clear mission statement. Go make disciples. And it must be noted in case the apostles were not sure, well, how many disciples are we to make? Or what's our quota? Jesus is clear. Make disciples of all nations. In other words, he gives them a pretty big vision. All nations. To our question, Jesus, uh, whom do you want to be the disciples? He quickly adds, Nicholas, everyone, all nations. Got it? Yeah, every single person is invited to follow Jesus, which obviously means everyone in your workplace. Ouch. That's a little too close to the bone. So here's the big idea for you to consider today. Think of your workplace as your mission field. When you hear the word go, you might think, go somewhere else? Leave my hometown? However, another way to say this would be to say, make disciples as you are going. As you are going. So I need a little help here, audience participation, you online as well. As you are going about your daily life, make disciples. As you are going to hang out with your friends, well, I heard the ones online. I didn't hear you guys at all. <laughs> Are you going about your day with your kids? Make Thank God, a few Baptists in the audience. That's great. As you're going to your place of work? Make yeah, share your faith in your workplace. You said it. I didn't. Well, I'm already feeling some pushback and imagining your response as I speak. Nicholas, that's just not realistic. I can get into trouble at best, I can make enemies at worst. Honestly, getting in trouble, making enemies may be the case. However, that's why wisdom and discernment, wisdom and discernment are the tools to employ. First, the obstacles might be bigger in your mind than they really are. It could be possible that your fears are warranted. Maybe your workplace has strict policies, but maybe we let the fears get bigger in our mind and hearts than they really are. Well, whatever the case may be, whether it's your comfort level or your work environment, I want to offer you a few key ways that you can overcome your discomfort and share your faith 
in your workplace, or at least you can position yourself to do so when the circumstances warrant. Well, I promise you there would be a takeaway, and here it is. Nicholas's five quick points for faith in the workplace. And before you make any judgments, or you walk out of the sanctuary, or you turn off the TV, hear me out. Keep an open mind. Number one, whatever your job is, no matter how menial, how monotonous, how momentous, do it with diligence and competence. It doesn't take faith to do that too much. Do it with diligence and confidence. No matter how, what the quality of your work environment, you can do your job well and with excellence in a less than perfect environment. When you do your job well, it positions you to win a hearing from others. They start to respect you. So working with your team, remember that you have two ears and only one mouth, so you listen twice as much as you speak. Or the writing up a report with accuracy, or responding to emails in a timely fashion. Doing your job well builds trust and respect from other people. Now, on the other hand, if you don't do your job with diligence and competence, then no one's really going to listen to you anyway. In fact, don't share your faith if you're not doing your job with diligence and competence. Otherwise, people will get the wrong impression of Jesus. <laughs> Trust me. So, key word, work well. Second, do good in your workplace. Do good. That's not so hard. Make time to listen to others who need counsel or advice on how to do a project. If there are projects or activities that no one wants to do, take them on to serve the organization or the group. Pick up the trash. Put away the junk. Hold the doors for people. Give the extra mile to serve others. Matthew tells us we're the light of the world. And in the darkness and the shadows of your workplace, you can be that light by doing good. There are some good deeds to be done in your workplace. I don't know what they are, but this week, be on the lookout for them. Be willing to take five, ten minutes to do a good deed, to send an encouraging email, to listen to someone who needs advice or counsel. If in your heart, right now, you say you're open, I can assure you that with that intention, God will put an opportunity in your path this week. If you feel a nudge, it's the Holy Spirit and the power of this conversation. The Holy Spirit will show up and show you what to do. Then if someone asks why you did that, you might say, oh, so I could tell you all about Jesus and how through his atonement and sacrifice on the cross, he saved you from hell. No, not a good idea. We've got to work with prudence and judgment. So you can say, though, you heard a message in church last Sunday, and you were inspired to help out. Keyword, do good. Three, show signs to signal to others that you are a Christ follower. By signs, I don't mean a poster over your desk declaring Jesus saves. Not a good idea. The sign I mean is gentler and takes more discernment. Have, have you ever wondered why the fish, wait a minute, got to draw this right, why the fish is a symbol of Christianity, the fish? Well, it's because Jesus chose fishermen 
as his apostles. And secondly, that he told them to be fishers of men. But there's another reason that you may not know. In the Roman Empire, at the time of Jesus, if Christ's followers were in the same area or room or ran into each other and they wanted to know if they were each followers of Jesus, one of them would trace in the dirt the first half of the fish. The second one would complete the fish. And that would tell them it was a safe place to talk. Yeah, it's wonderful. It was a great sign, very, very powerful. So if someone suspected someone, that's what they did. Depending on your environment, you can put together some kind of sign. Maybe put a small cross on your desk. Maybe in your email signature, you can include a small passage from a psalm or a scripture from the book of Proverbs. Great advice, book of Proverbs. It doesn't have to be overtly focused on Jesus. Think of a subtle sign that you can put out that won't offend anyone, won't get you in trouble, that can help coworkers know you're a person of faith. I promise you, at some point, that sign will invite a faith conversation with someone when they're struggling or just looking for deeper meaning in their lives. Keyword number three, show signs. Four, two more to go, ready to witness. In the first reading from Acts, Jesus tells the apostles, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Notice, it doesn't say you will be my theologians or biblical scholars. It says, my witness. Now, a witness is simply someone who talks about what they have seen or heard or experienced. To witness to Jesus means to know your own story and why you have chosen to follow him. To be a witness is to know your own story and why you chose to follow him or even be here. Take some time in your prayer or in journaling to think about why you follow Jesus. Have a one or two line answer available. You can also be prepared by offering a book or other resource. You can always point people to nativity. We'll take care of the rest, I promise. Today as you leave Mass, we have some simple cards you can put on your desk at work or in your bag. If someone asks you a faith question, you can talk about your experience here. Fifth and finally, offer to share prayer with someone when they are struggling. If someone from work asks for advice or is struggling with a, an issue, just ask them. Is it okay if I pray for you? Or a little deeper, is there something specific I can pray for you? Or even deeper, pray for the person in your personal prayer. Or even deeper, pray right there with the person if you're comfortable doing that. Even professed atheists usually don't turn down prayer. They want to have, cover all their bases, I'm sure. Well, there it is in a nutshell. Five steps to discipleship in the workplace. Be well, do good, show signs, ready to witness, share prayer. I challenge you to think of your workplace as your mission field. And I promise you, people are watching you and they notice you. You have an incredible opportunity at work to influence people for Jesus Christ. Jeff Rottinghouse serves as president of our parish council. 
A little over a year ago, he retired from T. Rowe Price. At T. Rowe Price, there's a pretty cool practice of having key leaders share the lessons learned over their career as they retire. In the session, the soon-to-be retirees share what they have learned about companies and other places in the investment world. And they do this for about 30 minutes. Then they take questions for another 30 minutes. Jeff shared his wisdom and then expected to take questions about companies and other business issues. But he was taken aback at what people asked. Instead, members of the company asked him about how he had been so successful and been such a great husband and father at the same time. They asked how he had managed to balance a demanding job with family life. They asked him about the role his faith played in his career. Then, Jeff said, for several weeks afterwards, he received a flurry of emails with similar questions. My friends, people are watching you in your workplace. Go into it this week, tomorrow, Monday, knowing it is your mission field. And know that you don't go alone. On this Feast of the Ascension, Jesus says to the apostles right before he leaves them physically, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that's a guarantee from, from the Lord Jesus himself. The mission is clear. It continues tomorrow morning, but you have a new outlook. You have all the tools you need. It is time to go. Hey, everyone. Thanks for watching with us today. Hit that subscribe button right now so you don't miss a single thing. You can be part of our mission to love God, love others, and make disciples simply by sharing this video. We are so grateful you're part of our community.